Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. I'm recording live for this episode, which is awesome. I'm doing it here at JJ Virgin's event called Mindshare in Tampa, Florida. And today's cool fact of the day is that where you live, how you grow up, the culture you're in actually changes your brain. It changes the way you see the world. And if you look at people who grow up in Western cultures, then we're going to look at what's right in front of us. We're going to focus on the object. But if you grow up in an Asian or an Eastern culture, you're much more likely to look around you and to look at the context and the situation around. So you have a broader focus versus a narrower focus. And I don't think there's a way to say that one is better than or more useful than the other. They're just different. So your cultural view changes your brain scans. And you can actually figure out that people from different cultures recruit different parts of their brains to process the same picture. So this is fascinating and stuff that we never would have known if we were just a bunch of cavemen sitting in caves. At least I wouldn't imagine as much. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is an amazing entrepreneur. Um, his name is Jeff Hayes, 
And Jeff is a filmmaker, but he's also raised $100 million in venture capital and started companies like Deals That Matter, Next Fitness, Pod Fitness, Zingback, and a bunch of others. So this is a chance for us to learn from someone who has succeeded multiple times, failed multiple times, and made some kind of cool movies, including one called On Native Soil and one called Doctored that looks specifically at what happens with the American Medical Association and doctors in the U.S. So there's some health-related stuff, there's some performance-related stuff, but mostly Jeff has just had a lifetime of ass-kicking, and I want to know how he did it so you guys can learn. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So tell me about how you started as an entrepreneur. You know, it's funny. My sister has been a professor at a medical school for 25 years, um, has a PhD, all the education. Uh, I'm a high school dropout. I um, I didn't have the right altitude for high school. My attitude was okay. I'm 56, so if you put this in a time frame, my altitude was bad for high school. And so I evolved. Um, when I was 18, I was a door-to-door -door encyclopedia salesman. Wow. And I was so dumb, I thought that was a good job. You know, I literally did that for a couple <laughs> of years. And, you know, the, you learn a lot, but that, starting there, the natural evolution to an entrepreneur, uh, I closed other doors to myself that, that you know, by not having an education. But the, the reality is life was perfect. It was um, a long road with a lot of damage and a lot of wreckage um, and a lot of success. But it was a really natural evolution to starting businesses due to lack of being able to do anything else. So necessity is the mother of invention. In, in, in me it was. I was also predisposed. One time I got interviewed at the University of Utah, their business school, and they said, can entrepreneurship be taught? And I, my thought was, absolutely, as long as you're teaching it to an entrepreneur. And <laughs> it's like, so there's lots of stuff you need to know. Um, but you have to have the right mindset. You know, I remember being seven years old and having a toy sale. Everything was marked down to a dime. And my mom comes home and it's like, the stuff she had just given me, you know, <laughs> no, you know, it's like, it's all a dime. The kids are in the neighborhood are running over and I'm selling stuff that I'm sure they paid significant money for. Everything's a dime. It worked for the, for the five and dime store, it worked for me. I remember, you know, I sold seeds. And that's where I learned the difference between gross and net. Where back then you could order seeds from the back of Boys Life magazine that send them to you. And your dad's on the hook to pay for the seeds. They send the seeds out and the kid goes out and sells them. So I go out and sell all the seeds and spend all the money, not understanding, oh, I'm supposed to pay for the inventory. <laughs> and so, you know, I learned an entrepreneurial lesson of, okay, there's a difference between gross and net. So there's no question that I was predisposed to do this. But the entrepreneurial path, um, the, it, you know, right now our education system isn't taught, isn't set up to teach it. There's very, it, it comes from people like you that are, that are front runners that turn around and go, okay, it, they're bridge builders that say, okay, this is the way I went, this is what other people are doing. Um, it, it's, it's not, it, the road to success is through failure, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be your failure. In my case, my road to success definitely you know, passed through lots of my own failures. 
I never understood until uh, probably I was about 30 that, that people, at least some people, actually really just want to help and like that's that's a reward in and of itself so I definitely made a lot of my own failures because I wouldn't listen to anyone like like I, I was I was advice resistant uh, as a young man because I figured I had to do it all myself like I would know best and it, you could say even mistrustful and I found even now I, I work with some young entrepreneurs and probably four out of five of them are like They'll hear the advice and then they'll go out and they'll walk into a buzzsaw. And like <laughs> I told you, there's a buzzsaw there, but they do it anyway. It's the it's the those, that one that doesn't. Those guys are kicking ass before they're 25. You can feel when you talk to somebody and you watch their you know and and especially one that's really common among amongst entrepreneurs who have a creative mindset is we tend to be doing five or six projects or ten at the exact same time. And anybody will tell you, you know, that if you if you if you want to magnify something, you do it by subtracting. Mm -hmm. And if you want to multiply something, you do it by dividing. You know, like a cell multiplies by dividing. If you want to magnify and you know and increase your chances of success, you subtract everything else until that's the only thing in focus, and then you magnify that. And you tell somebody like me that, and you watch their face glaze over and go. Yeah, but I'm not getting up. I'm not giving up these other things I'm doing. And you just go, okay, welcome to your own personal buzzsaw. This is the, the other thing that when we listen to an expert, we have two criteria. One is we want to know, uh, does this person know what they're talking about? And then number two, what are their motives? And so, like, I've seen you at conferences. I'm very f familiar with, you know, I started drinking bulletproof coffee a year and a half ago, after 20 years of no coffee, now wow. I'm a fiend. You know, so, so I, 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 I'm not even going to thank you. It's like I enjoy it, but but it's still, it's like, uh, you know, this, I'm like, okay, I'll do this every now and then. But every now and then means all morning and into the afternoon. <laughs> but um, the, the, I didn't trust you until I read your book. Oh, And you. once I started reading the book, I'm like, okay, I get it. This guy knows what he's talking about. But because it took me to separate you from other experts, does this, you know, so I had no problem with your motive, but the question is, does this guy really know what he's talking about? And the book goes into enough detail and your own personal history, I go, okay, I get it. By the way, just a complete side note, the single smartest thing, and I send out 20 to 40 books a month to friends. I buy books, wow. and whatever the best book I read last month, I, I'll send out, and the the single smartest thing I read last year was you saying, we've got to quit saying fruits and vegetables like it's one word. <laughs> I quote that, I no longer give you credit. I oh, say that, and it's like, but the first few times I gave you credit, you know, but now I just said, but literally, that's so true in our, you know, fruits and vegetables, like they're one thing and they're radically different. That single message could probably, if we could just get that phrase, spread through the culture, we could probably affect diabetes in this country yeah. uh, by people thinking they're doing the right thing you know, by hammering down a bunch of sugar every day in the form of fruit. Well, well, thank you for that. I, I didn't even know you'd read my book, so I appreciate it. By the way, I haven't talk. finished it yet, so okay. I guess I'm, it, it, it's, it's strategically placed where I read it maybe five minutes a day. I don't want to go into detail where but, <laughs> it's a good place for it. But it's guaranteed to be finished, and, I, and it's likely to be one of my books I send out to friends. Oh, I'm honored, actually. It's a, yeah, you're honored that 
Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> You'll send it to your friends. The other part. Uh, <laughs> That's now. There's an image nobody wants. <laughs> it's it's funny how language affects things, and you mentioned the, the fruits and vegetables coming together. In your time as as an entrepreneur, as language, the way you're approaching yourself from you know, associating words that are unrelated or other things like that, language of success, language of failure, is that something that came, that comes up for you or is that something that wasn't a big deal? So I got uh, certified in neuro-linguistic programming there you go. in the <laughs> 80s and so we used to talk, call people meta-monsters who learned the meta-model from NLP and then took it too far. So I was a meta-monster. What is NLP? If people who are watching or listening right now, oftentimes in their cars, if they don't know NLP, can you just define it for a minute? So neuro-linguistic programming was where Tony Robbins started, and it was the study of how language affects your neurology. Uh, and I started studying it in uh, the 80s really to learn how to be a better salesperson. Mm -hmm. But it became much more than that for me. It was uh, uh, it affected every area of my life. So, I, I read the original. I forget what's the guy's name. Barlow, the original NLP things back in the '90s, and honestly, I couldn't make heads or tails of it at the time. Uh, I'm aware of neuro-linguistic programming techniques. I don't consciously use them, um, and you can tell when someone's misusing it because it, it's it's. It's like they're talking in a funny way that, that so, they want to be manipulative. So you were talking about that Bandler. And, yeah, so, thank you, Bandler. That's the guy. And saying. this was stuff. And then Bandler's who I trained with. And you trained with Bandler himself. Yeah. Okay. So I went and, and did my master certification with him in '89. Um, but it, the, the 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 stuff it was very manipulative. And then people kind of gave it more authority than what it really had. And so, as if you can drop these hidden language bombs and people lose their power of choice. So it, it, um, it, it was a therapeutic way of speaking that was effective. Um, but the, you know, the main thing that it taught me was the power of language and the power of language on my own neurology. Even when, and now it's so ingrained on me, I don't remember to use it or to not use it. It's, if, I, if I want to create mental images in your mind that are movies, if I say to you, can you think of a time in the past that you ran to the store? You're going to get a still image. If I say, you know, can you think of a time in the past where you were running to the store? The choice of that, now you're going to get a movie when I say that. Like we ran versus we're running, running. It changes the brain. So, you know, can you think of a time you ran, boom, there's a still image. Can you think of a time where you were running to the store? And so that, that distinction between those two past tense ways of stating something, I can literally choose words that cause different images in your mind. And so we react to these images in our mind. So it has an effect, but it is not the, you know, Svengali, you know, I, you know, and so the main thing is learning how to talk to yourself, what to say to yourself and what not to say to yourself and to start to edit your own your own language. It's funny, Dan Sullivan, who coaches entrepreneurs, says... Me too, I'm, I'm a client. Oh, it's unbelievable. So, you know, it, I've never heard this, this concept that an entrepreneur's job is to protect our confidence. Yeah. And I'm like, I had to go, what, what did he just, you know, 
to protect your confidence, because I've always you know, been, i got to tamp down my confidence. I think I'm capable of too much. I want to take on the world. I think I can do great things. And it's a little bit unrealistic thinking that entrepreneurs suffer from. And he points out, if you're in flow, when you're confident, that's when you do great stuff. And so, no, this is not a bad thing. And I have to protect it from other people who want to bring us down. You know, Dave, who, what makes you think you can have a bestseller? You know, get back in your box where, I, where I, I'm comfortable keeping you. And you go, no, I'm going to have a, a New York Times bestselling book, and I'm going to build a brand. You know, oh, that Dave, you know. There's a there's a phrase in Chinese, the only phrase in Chinese I know, by the way, but it's Nisha Shama Dongshi. And I'm sure I said that really bad. All my Chinese listeners right now are right? <laughs> throwing food at the camera. <laughs> Sorry, people. But it means, who do you think you are, roughly? Isn't that the best? And like people say that to their kids. And I'm like, I, I would never do that, but we get that ingrained, right? Yeah, who do you think you are? And it's never, who do you think you are? I wish we'd use that when somebody's speaking ill of themselves. It's like, oh, that's yeah, brilliant. It, because it's a neutral question. Who do you think you are? You don't. Do you not understand? You're a world beater. You're a, you know, <laughs> you're you're a champion. Yeah. So how did you change your way of relating to yourself? I mean, did that make you a better entrepreneur, or was it all through the NLP training that you became aware of that? So, it, it's funny because I came from a lack of education. I have spent the rest of my life gathering an education. And, you know, even like where you and I are now, you know, we're spending our weekend learning more, yeah. doing more. Uh, I'm 56. I, you know, I assume 25 years from now, I'm going to be sitting in a room somewhere learning how to be more, contribute more, do more, give more, have more. Um, so it's just a never-ending process. So part of learning as an entrepreneur is failure. What's your biggest failure? Oh. You know, this is like this goes on. The, the, the list goes on and on. You know, I had uh, in the, the dot com area, we raised seventy five million in venture capital for one company that we later sold for ten million. So it's a fairly spectacular torching of capital. But those aren't the ones that that bother me. You know, the, what bothers me is when I've started projects and gathered people around me and said, follow me, I'll take you to the top of the mountain. And I get us halfway to the top and everybody's killed on the side of the mountain. And so friends, neighbors, relatives, people who bought into my ideas. Um, the, you know, the, one of the key things I've learned about being an entrepreneur is you know, this new lean methodology of, 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 of minimum viable product validating your you know i used to go out and raise all the money and then we would find out if our concept was valid and it never is there's always you you're going to have to pivot along and so then you can never go back and go okay investors you know let's quit and so you got a ring in your nose and then you start the process of trying to to pivot into success while projecting confidence while raising more money and this led to some spectacular failures. And, and so they were smaller, but devastating, you know, where I damaged relationships. I have one good friend who lost money in a company of mine, and he goes, Jeff, nobody has ever worked harder at losing my money than you. <laughs> and, <laughs> Still a good friend, I'm Yeah, because he saw, you know, I, I put my heart and soul into it. But now the real distinction, the thing that could have avoided a lot of that, is validate the concept before you get too much of other people's money into the project. 
Are you a fan of Patrick Laskovitz? I don't know the name. Uh, he's uh, one of the, the big authors in the lean startup community. I figure you might have come across his stuff. Um, also a friend. I will now. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll send you info on his book, and we'll post that in the show notes, too, if this is the kind of thing you're interested in. So I, I think that this new idea of crowdfunding startups, and plus just changes in the cloud, I, I look at what I've done with a Bulletproof, Bulletproof Exec, and... I used to, for a living, put together professional services engagements to make websites. And I would design the architecture, like the full redundancy, all this stuff, at the company that really created modern cloud compute called Exodus Communications. So I would literally quote a million dollar setup and roughly $100,000 a month of operational stuff for what happens somewhere with Bulletproof, and I can tell you, I don't know what state my content's in, I don't care. I'm not even on Amazon yeah. Web Services, and I'm like an original cloud, OG cloud gangster or right. something. <laughs> it It's so cheap now that I also don't know how much I spend on hosting because it's like $1,000 or yeah. something. And this is a substantial website, like very substantial. So all of those things have gone into making lean startups, making rapid prototypes happen, but the funding side was still broken. And now we've got just basically crowdfunding things. What's your take on crowdfunding? How do you use it? Like, what, what do you think about it? Amazingly enough, I'm one of the world's experts on crowdfunding. Uh, Forbes did an article about me, um, and I've done close to $2 million in crowdfunding. I've done now a dozen successful crowdfunding campaigns. And when I say I'm one of the world's experts, it's what I'm really saying is I'm king of the midgets. There are, you know, there, there are no experts in this. Yeah. You know, this existed a couple of years ago. And so it's funny. I, I get called, I'll get interviewed on crowdfunding podcasts and crowdfunding right. shows. And I'll be talking to the host. And it was like, you know, he's got some crowdfunding site. And I go, man, this is great. What, what projects have you done? And they're like, well, I've consulted on it. And I go, well, yeah, but which ones have you done? And, well, no, I've never actually crowdfunded myself. And it, it's like all the guys out there coaching and doing the, not all, surely somebody else is, but there's nobody who's actually done crowdfunding that's teaching crowdfunding. You know, there's consultants who consult on 200 crowdfunding campaigns and four succeed and they talk, you know, they're tout yeah. those four. But it, this to me is, is a, a staggering shift in access to capital for entrepreneurs. And so crowdfunding, you have the equity side, which is not my interest. It's regulated. It's, it's, it's annoying. It's, yeah, it's not the direction so, I want to go. So if you're listening to this and you're not into crowdfunding and business, what we're talking about is a whole bunch of people each put in 20 bucks to get something they really want, even if they don't get it in a year. And if enough people put the money in, then you build the thing. That's really, so gathering, the, the, the first, so this donor crowdfunding is brilliant and it now you can validate your concept you can test your language you can find out and you know the, the, the if, if you should do this project at all and then you can raise your initial money and so like I've got a crowdfunding campaign that as of this minute I just I said it on just a small project on a film I'm going to re-edit for a specific group we set it at 50,000 we went over 50,000 this morning um, It'll probably close at seventy-five thousand, and I put this together in a day, and you know, over forty-five days, added seventy-five thousand to something that that 
will find and I'll make money on once it's finished. And this is, I, 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 I can't imagine not having at least one crowdfunding campaign going all the time. It seems like like you're in an ideal space because you've been an entrepreneur. You you know all the pieces that go into building a company, and then you transitioned over to being a filmmaker. And crowdfunding is about perfect for films because they're digital. Because you might sell a lot more films after it's done, but everyone who puts money in is getting a copy of the film. Yeah. So it, or, it's a digital. Or product. and there's other things I can do that. So the the key to crowdfunding, my business model on films, Jeff Hayes films. <laughs> Our, our tagline is movies that make movements. So I don't make a film because it's a great story. I, you know, the criteria is I want to make a profit and I want to make an impact. So movies that make movements. And so that means I don't make films I want to make. I make films that other people want made. I give a voice to people who have no voice. And so this is key to the crowdfunding. You don't fund the project you want to do. Yeah. You fund a project that there's a crowd that wants done. And, and if there's no crap, maybe you shouldn't do the project. It's a great place to find that out. But if you, if you approach it from that standpoint, there were a lot of people who wanted a Pebble watch. And, and you know, their, their goal was 100000 and they raised $10 million. Who knew? There were a lot of people that wanted an updated cooler. And suddenly $13 million of a cooler. Yeah. You know, this, this so crowdfunding something like this, and what it really allows you to do is sell your product before it exists. I can sell a film before I've shot one frame of film. The, the other thing I did with the movie Bot that I just am just releasing, um, we did four crowdfunding campaigns for one film. Wow, four different ones. I know. Different stages? Or what? It, yeah, different stages. So nobody's ever done it before. The, 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 one of the founders of Indiegogo goes, well, I didn't know you could do four campaigns for one film. <laughs> but because I'm one of the world's experts on company, <laughs> I, we're, we're redefining what this is. But the thing about a film is at each stage, you know, when I rate, did the first campaign and raised a couple of hundred thousand dollars for this film, we hadn't shot anything. Well, now with a, a few hundred thousand, I can start filming and I can start releasing. And so... Now I can run another campaign and say, look what we've got. And at each stage, I've got something to show. And so sequencing these campaigns, nobody had done before. But literally, we went, instead of one campaign that did 200000 we ended up raising close to 700000 in wow. four campaigns, which the money was just there by going after it. So, so I'm, I'm now feeling like I, I probably have made some suboptimal decisions at this point. My first documentary, Moldy, about environmental toxic mold, and I, I just funded it myself. I'm like, okay, I, I've been fortunate. I've sold some coffee. I'm going to take the profits from the coffee, and I'm going to pour it into a problem that, that I know genetically affects 100 million people, and, and my goal is to once a year make a movie about something that affects 100 million people that they have no idea about. It's a great idea. It's a noble but let me encourage you to not use your own and, and really, from the next one. Well, yeah, because it's, it's not just the money. It's like once I finish the film bought, now I have about 8,000 people that have joined me that want to see this out there. So when we, when we uh, now are going to offer the film, I already have several thousand affiliates that were built from the community that we built through crowdfunding. And we have... Um, it, you know, 
we're not entering the market brand new. So like you entered the market with Moldy, nobody had heard of it. And again, it's very noble that you're doing this, but you, you did, um, and then what you can do, what I like to do, if you have money you're willing to contribute to that, put it up as matching funds. That's a great idea. And you go, okay, our budget for this is 200000 For every dollar that comes in, I'll match it dollar for dollar up to hundred grand. So your contribution. Thank you. You, you just made this interview way more right. valuable going this way. Yeah, so you'll say, I mean, it'll be hundred grand next year. And, <laughs> and it builds your group, it builds your community, and it allows people uh, the, the, to participate in a noble cause. It's like, yeah. okay, wait a minute. You've convinced, convinced me enough on the mold issue. I would like to participate. I don't want to write a check for a hundred grand, but I'll write a check for a hundred and I'll join you in this fight. Wow. You've, you've really, uh, really helped me. Thank you. My pleasure. Tell me more about BOT. So BOT, when, when I did the film Doctored, it was about the AMA and how the AMA systematically tried to get rid of alternative medicine, especially yeah. chiropractic. And this is not like web rumors and stuff. This is actually five chiropractors in 1974 sued the AMA in a David and Goliath story. It took 15 years, went to the Supreme Court, but the AMA was found guilty of conspiring to contain and eliminate the chiropractic yeah. profession. And so in the process of telling this story, we, we kept running across two issues that we didn't know what to do with, and that was GMOs and vaccines. And people would be like, oh, you're going to cover vaccines, aren't you? And I'm like, uh, you know, what's the problem with vaccines? And it turns out a lot of chiropractors are anti-vaccine. I'm like, why would you be anti-vaccine? And so, and then the GMO issue. So we tapped into these a little bit, enough to know there's a lot of controversy in each one. And on the GMO side, how do we make a film about health and not cover food? So yeah. we mentioned both of these, but this, so bought, we dug into big pharma, GMOs, and vaccine dangers. And it's funny, in this country, you can't be, if you'd like to say, I would like to see about making vaccines safer, you can't have that conversation. You're either anti-vaccine or you're pro-vaccine. Yeah. And it, it's it's... Uh, an incredibly radioactive subject. Um, we filmed at Harvard, we filmed at MIT, we filmed at University of Purdue, the University of Wales. The film opens with a woman who's a neuropsychologist, PhD, talking about her vaccine-damaged child who had, at six months, was damaged by the pertussis vaccine, brain encephalitis, and the camera pulls back and she's sitting next to her now 20-year-old son wearing a seizure helmet and a diaper. She's a neuropsychologist. She went through, and in 1986, Congress made it illegal to sue a vaccine manufacturer. What the hell? <laughs> but it, it's funny, and it was with good intent. The, the vaccine manufacturers went to Congress and said, because vaccines are inherently and unavoidably unsafe, we're getting out of the business unless you give us liability protection. So to stop them from leaving that business, we gave them blanket protection and we set up what's called Vaccine Court, but it's the Vaccine uh, um, Injury Compensation System. And it was designed to quickly get money to people whose child was damaged because it's going to happen. It's, yeah. Vaccines are inherently and unavoidably unsafe. Once we did that, this weird bureaucratic bastardization happens and suddenly the vaccine program becomes more important than the children that it was designed to protect. 
So it takes like seven years to go through the vaccine injury compensation system, and the odds are two-thirds against you that you will win. You're suing the United States government. So here's this woman that she's, she and her husband are both advanced degrees, have good incomes. They go through seven years of hell with everybody, her doctor on the day that it happened, well, this is a vaccine injury, everybody agreed, and it still took seven years of fighting, but the government found his autism and mental retardation were caused by vaccines. So the film opens with a woman where a lot of times they're dismissed. Oh, she's just a mom. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Well, here's a just a mom who, of course, you know, got divorced in the, you know, in the process of this. 95% lose their, their marriage. A neuropsychologist, educated, smart, intelligent, with a, a child who lost, she lost that life at six months that now 20 years later he's in a Caesar helmet and a diaper. It makes it very difficult to say, um, no, this doesn't happen, when, especially when the government said yes. And they paid her $8 million over that child's lifetime for in, a, in an annuity to take care of him. But it was a bitter, horrible experience, and this is going on all the time. Once you dig into it, and then we find that, that we're being lied to about the safety and efficacy of vaccines, people... Uh, this year's flu, you know, the flu vaccine, the Cochrane Commission has reviewed it three times and said they just don't work. There's no benefit. There is a downside. This year, the CDC came out and said, okay, we admit it, this year doesn't work. But still get it. You can still buy it at Walgreens. They, you know, even, though, even though it doesn't work, please still get it. You really still need it. And, and so it's time to have the, the purpose of this film. Um, and I'm thinking about running a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal the, uh, and I, I got to decide whether I have the guts to do that. I've, I've done this three times in my career where I run full-page ads in the Wall Street Journal. And that's like hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? You, actually, we got them on a remnant rate, oh, and you can do it for uh, for less than that, but it's still quite... I ran one for Pod Fitness, a company that I had, where they said, Dear Steve Jobs, thanks for the iPod. P.S. Wait till you see what we did with it. Call me and had my cell number. <laughs> the next day, Apple sued me over the name Pod. <laughs> it cost me a million bucks for <laughs> for that. That's ballsy, though. Oh, that, that, so that's my mentality: is find the biggest guy on the field and go stick your finger on his eye. So I want to run an ad in the Wall Street Journal. We'll see if I have the courage to do it. And say, you know, and the headline being, uh, "Is it time to short Merck and Monsanto?" Botmovie.com, and see if we can. Uh, because it's brilliant I know, whether or not you do it you have with, to do it and that's what I think too so we'll see if, if, if I survive the, the, you know, the doing it but this this film we need to get it out there to start the conversation to let people know um, you know GMOs it's a contentious subject the, the bill that failed in Washington State there was 12 million that was spent fighting that bill, of the $12 million, $500 of it came from inside Washington State. The, all but one contribution in the entire state, everything else came from business interests outside of the state that literally bought that vote. And that's so, the, so bot's about that or is bot about vaccines? So bot is about vaccines, GMOs, and big pharma. So we have two big pharma whistleblowers, okay. both of whom their cases have already been settled for billions of dollars. And so these guys went through hell. 
it is it turns out it's the same culprit in bot it is the the same people doing gmos vaccines and big pharma it's the same shareholders the same companies so the most important thing that that you said in in the thing about vaccines is that it there's the script says they're more is better and and they're all evil and the middle is a wasteland you're not even allowed to have that conversation yeah. it's like no no no. which side are you on and you're like well i'm on the side that would like to see these be safer yeah uh, i'm on the side the that middle. would like to see we've never done a test of what happens to a kid that you give all of these to uh, we've never done the study that tracks people who've been vaccinated versus people who haven't the cdc said it would be immoral to do that study I promise you, I could get a million people to volunteer their children for that study. They said, well, vaccines are so important, we can't do the study. We could even do it retroactively and follow the kids that we know haven't been vaccinated versus the kids. Amish. So, yeah, so we, they don't want to know the answer to this question. And that's the part that, um, like, you know, most of the people, most of the MDs that really dig into it become anti-vaccine. Um, I, if I was headed back to Africa, I would struggle. Do I get the yellow fever or not? It's a dangerous vaccine. Yellow fever is a dangerous, I literally, so even as much as, and so it'll aggravate people that, you know, that I have an open mind on, on this stuff. I don't know what I would do. I'm in the same boat. My wife's a Carolinska trained physician and she volunteered for Doctors Without Borders. And when she got the round of vaccines required for Africa, in med school, she got uh, encephalitis, like, she, or she couldn't, she had to take a semester off because her brain was gone from the vaccine. And it, it caused autoimmune issues that she still has. And she knows it happened. There's no lawsuits it's in Sweden. They don't sue anyone in Sweden. But <laughs> the, the thing is, to say that, that they're all harmless, no. But there is a benefit to some of them. And that's where it gets really weird. If I went to Africa, I don't know what I'd do either. This, this is when, I, at the very beginning, I talked about experts. We want to know, do they know what they're talking about? and what are their motives and most of these conversations on gmos and most of these conversations on vaccine are fueled by people with bad motives yeah. and and that distorts the conversation so that's the purpose of an independent documentary filmmaker like me is i wade into these conversations with hopefully no agenda other than shining a light on them i usually end up with a bit of an agenda but i don't start with now, you, you, you did something that sounds like it's in your personality, but you didn't just pick one thing to go up and poke in the eye, but you, you picked GMOs and vaccines this, at, at the same time. So the two-fingered poke. This like, is it. Hey, this aren't was, you just going to get like sued or killed or something? I I'm hope not. <laughs> this, is, this is strategic in that what I wanted to do for the vaccine group, the GMO people are scared to associate with the vaccine people. They believe in it. They want... But uh, and I'll, Jeffrey Smith is one of the big voices in, in anti-GMO. He's a friend. And, and so, but he didn't have the, he, I don't want to say balls, or I don't want to say courage. I don't wanna, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated with him that when it came time that because it will hurt his movement, he made the rational decision to not participate in this because he can't afford to be associated with the vaccine movement. And it's, I, it's very frustrating to me. I need these guys to stand together. At the same time, you know, when I talk to him, I, I get it. Literally, had he been associated to this, it could drop his funding and jeopardize his entire organization for his mission. 
but these guys need to know, I want to, to knit them together because they belong together and they're fighting the same villain. It, whether that'll be successful, I don't know. Uh, the big villain we're talking about here, it, it, it's funny, I mean, you, you've taken on other big regulatory bodies as, as well. And what we're, we're talking about here is when large organizations with an agenda put themselves in charge of your choices, we tend to run into this behavior. And I'm not, I'm not fully convinced that it's always with, with negative intent. I think there's always I good agree. intent when it's set up. It's an emergent behavior of lots of small decisions. Werner Earhart said all, all organizations eventually turn evil. And what he means evil is when the organization starts to serve itself instead of serving the, the, the people that it was set up to help. The, the vaccine injury compensation system was set up to serve people who are injured. You know, we started this, we, we set up the protection, liability protection, because it was in our best interest. There was no evil, you know, somebody twirling their mustache. The, the same thing, farmers are trying to get better yields. And so Monsanto is trying to serve their customer, the farmer, and uh, even restaurant. If you and I opened a restaurant, we wouldn't go, tell you what, let's have okay food. We shouldn't have great <laughs> food because people will eat too much. So, you know, we start down this trail of making our food as great as it can be. The next thing you know, there's food scientists who figure out how to manipulate the flavors, how to keep it in your mouth longer so it stays on your tongue, so you absorb more of the fat and are happier, more satisfied with the meal, get hungrier, more salted. We do all this. It's not out of evil. It's, we want to have the best restaurant we can have. But we end up a long way from where we started. Yeah. One of the, the things that motivated me to start Bulletproof, and I, I'm, I'm a tech entrepreneur and I've been hacking my body for a long time, so I have some background on this, it's that every time I, I see food and, and supplements and, and everything else, there's cost optimization and then there's basically flavor optimization. Yes. Right? And when you get to flavor optimization, you've created addictive stuff. You know, the, when I see the, the slogan, you can't eat just one, I'm like, it's an instruction. It's a drug. And it's an like, instruction. Look, I'm telling you, you yeah, can't eat just once. It's true. Uh, in fact, can't is one of my four big weasel words. Anytime <laughs> one, one of the Bulletproof employees says can't, I'm like, God, weasel word. That's and it. my kids are trying, if I say can't, they, Dad, yeah, you're lying. Good. I'm like, all right. So with you there, but as a you know, as an instruction and also just as a an, an addictive kind of thing, you'll make more money in a restaurant if you make addictive food. And if you make food that satisfies you, so you're like, well, I just don't really want to eat anything else. I don't even crave dessert. You might make less money unless you change other things about your model. It's a, it's a bummer. Yeah. I'm a capitalist, and I, what I was, as I watched the, the, the deformation of what happens to health when capital is applied to it, it, it bums me out as a capitalist, but then somebody pointed out, this is not capitalism, this is crony capitalism. And this is what's happened, I'm actually making a film about this, uh, called Feckless this year, that the, the CEO of Overstock is, is uh, asked me to do in, in funding. And it, it, you know, when we, when we watch how 80 years ago, we've transferred so much power to Washington that it's really starting about 80 years ago, that it made sense to have lobbyists in Washington protecting you. Um, and so the more we move power from state and local governments to Washington, the more you know, this has happened. Well, the Democrats always wanted a big government to protect us from big business. 
but they never imagined what would happen when government became a subsidiary of big business, which is really what's happened. And so this is a bipartisan issue. We've got to move power back to state and local governments and, and, and away from what's called regulatory capture, where these guys, they're not in the market like you and I. We're out there creating value and attracting people and building a brand and, and carving out a niche. They, they're skipping all that and legislating it. And it happens in vaccines where we make my product, I can't be sued for it, and the law says your child has to take it and the state pays me for it. That's a, not what you and I are in. There's also the notion of, of harm reduction. And when you put regulations in place that create a framework where you're not allowed to admit that there's a potential for harm, you right. can't reduce it, right? I said can't. But, <laughs> but it, at least you can, but you're breaking the law to reduce it. And there are people who, before they, they vaccinate their kids, they give their kids extra vitamin C. They give them other antioxidants that, that you know, protect the liver and try and reduce inflammation because they're worried about it. Now, that's a rational response. And maybe if anyone ever bothered to test a protocol like that, you might find that it reduced adverse incidents. But if you deny adverse incidents... But, but there, there are no adverse yeah, incidents. So why would you do anything like that? How do you make it better? And, and this is what bothers me. I, like even another real contentious issue, are EMFs harmful? I, I've done enough research on this. Sometimes, yes. In fact, I have equipment in my house that improves the rate of healing using EMFs. And I know that if I can make it help, I can make it, make it hurt. Like, like, it's there. Yeah, I just but, bought a Beamer bed. Oh, there you go, nice. So you, you understand some of the EMF, both benefits and risks. But if we acknowledge this problem, okay, we've got $40 billion in wireless equipment, or probably more than that out there now. If we know it's a problem, we could then change the protocols. I'm a network engineer by background. We change the protocols to be ones that actually help people or at least don't harm them. But by denying risks, we become unscientific. And just saying, look, there's risks and there's benefits. I dearly love having the ability to have a computer in my pocket, and I don't really want to give that up. But if I had a computer in my pocket that made me grow new stem cells instead of cancer cells, that'd be kind of legit. Right, so I, I just want some scientific honesty across GMOs, across vaccines, across EMFs, and all the other stuff that are, that are flashpoints for people getting angry. And why would you get angry about that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And if you're getting angry about that, you gotta wonder what program are you running? Because it's not thinking programming. So this is where people like you, I, I love the bulletproof example. This is where there are, it's funny, when I worked with software developers and people, had, I encountered a group of logical people that were logical to a level I'd never encountered before. <laughs> and you see now, people are moving into executive levels and, and, and C-level uh, CEO spots that are coming out of the IT department, or coming out of programming, and, and it's because of the, this logical thinking will save us. It needs voices like yours, and it needs a crowd, it needs crowdfunding, it needs, um, but this is, it's not just technology will save us. And again, I'll quote Dan Sullivan, um, what's his deal is, is all improvement starts with truth. You know, step one is to tell the truth. And you get people that have you know, a, a bias toward logic and intelligence. Um, we can work our way out of this. There's also the flip side. I, I wrote a post on a couple of years ago and one side of like the health, the, the soft side of the healing profession, um, you get sort of the, the open heart, open mind, but you open your mind so much that your brain falls out. 
And yes. Right. Okay. That, that's one side of things. I call it the land of the lotus eaters, right? Mm-hmm. But you go to the other far extreme of like super hardcore skeptic rationalism, and you get to the point where you're a robot. And if you, it doesn't fit in the test tube, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And when you have to look at it, so this making films on alternative health, I got you know when you swing open the door to alternative health, there's no telling who will come in. And this, this is, is one crazy of people. Yeah. This is one of the things we really have to. But there, it turns out. Your thinking does affect your body directly. Yeah. Electromagnetic fields do affect your body. There are frequencies and wavelengths that can, you know, NASA uses them. You know, it, it, I have a stem cell setting on my beamer bit. You know, it's like, <laughs> this is, just, it really does, you know, work. So, you, you know, it, this is where rational thought, and, and I have to apply it when I decide who do I allow to be in one of my films because some of it is so. And who's maybe they're right, but I, I'm sure some people on both extremes are right. Uh, I spend a lot of my own conscious energy on walking the line down the middle. I don't want to fall into the land of robots, and I don't want to fall into the land of eaters because there's great value from people who spend their entire day in, in ashrams meditating and they figure out something neat, and, and then it becomes translatable to a general population who isn't going to live in an ashram. And there's also great value to hardcore scientists who are you know, looking at uh, quantum interactions and saying, well, damn, I didn't know that worked, but here's a truth table and it's real. So, but if you deny either side of that or you only live in one camp, it's like you're a Republican or a Democrat. Like, neither side is very accurate. My phrase is, God bless the lunatic fringe. Yeah. Because that's what creates this space in the middle to, to flourish. That's where progress seems to happen, is, yeah. is where you, you listen, but don't always believe either side. Great point. We're nearing the end of the show. And there's a question that I've asked every guest on the show. And given your path as an entrepreneur, as a crowdfunder, as just a human being, the three pieces of advice you'd offer for people who want to perform better at whatever it is they do. So if you want to kick more ass, do these three things. Um, so first off, I, I'm an introvert. And I, by the end of the day, I don't have any energy to talk to another human being because I spend my day pretending to be an extrovert. And it burns up energy. It's, you know, to, like, literally, I'm, I'm not, but I, number one is you, you shouldn't be siloed. You've got to be out. Success comes from relationships, from other people, from, um, and, and so often we get so focused on our own projects that we forget to build relationships. And now at, at my age, my Rolodex is my most valuable Rolodex, the uh, my uh, my contact. Rolo, what? I know it's, it's, like, it's like an album. It's like, well, let me tell you something, Sonny. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I, I get the, it. Uh, my contact list. It's not just contact list. It's the it's the relationships that I built. And so, uh, number number one, focus on relationships. Number two is 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 a is a sub point of that is it's not about what they can do for you. It's about what you can do for them. Um, what they can do for you will always work itself out, assuming you're you're associating with the right kind of people. And then the the the, the third thing is not it has nothing to do with productivity, but it's always pay your withholding tax. <laughs> That's and great advice. I'm serious. Like when I go and look at a business, sometimes people want to invest in a business or a business is in trouble. And I learned to ask the question, so have you paid your withholding? And you see this sheepish look and you find out 
there's this hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or million dollar withholding tax liability and the reason this is important this is the one you can go broke and it's okay you can dust yourself off and start over that particular tax will pierce through to you personally and you can't run away from it you can go to jail over you that can too. go to jail over it and so this is where when people would there are risks to take as an entrepreneur don't take risk that can ruin your life don't take risk and that's really the point three is 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 know what your risks are um, and and don't take stupid risks that can follow you and haunt you it's it, our business becomes so important none of them are really worth that amazing advice where can people find info about your latest film, your other films? Like, where can they find more right, so You can jeffhayesfilms.com. Spell that for everyone. It's J-E-F-F-H-A-Y-S, no E in Hayes. Jeffhayesfilms, with an S, dot com. And then individual movies, um, you can link to from there. Uh, I got shortlisted for an Academy Award on, on native soil. So, I mean, I'm a legitimate documentarian. This is not a guy with a camera. Hey, I bet I can make a movie. Yeah, there's a difference between real documentaries and you sort of, I, I'm on a mission, but I've just got a camera. You're, you're, but, you're making Although real sometimes the people that you know, are on a mission have a camera, you end up going, dang, that's good. <laughs> that's a fair point. Yeah. It does happen. Yeah, I hate that, but it's true. Thanks for being on the show. We're going to include all the links to Jeff's movies. Um, they're worth watching. A Doctored on Native Soil and uh, your very latest one. Bots, and uh, you've got Fahrenheit 9/11 as well. So, so this is a long history of these things, and we'll post links to jiffhayesfilms.com. If you enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate it if you would head on over to iTunes and say you like it, and just share it with others. We're just about at 11 million downloads, and I'm putting a ton of time and energy into this because I think it's helping a lot of people. So if this helped you, whether as an entrepreneur or as someone interested in all of these cool things we just got to talk about, just head on over and let me know that it's making a difference because that keeps me motivated. And also let other people know that you thought it was worth your time. It just takes a second to go to iTunes and click. Thank you. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.